I have called up in all my years of sorcery, no god or devil ominous and gibbous. And and pulled limb from limb as a child might quarter an insect. The Double, the double shadow. shadow. A Clark the Ashton, Ashton, Clark Smith, Clark Ashton podcast. Smith podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, so this this miracle reappearance of uh, Nigathan uh, has a lot of the the citizens talking about the supernatural and the occult, but this not Aquinas. It's a very, uh, it's a very Clark Ashton Smith moment, right? Because yeah, remember right. back in in Vaillon, or in Averon, how everybody was always like, people were being eaten by various monsters. It was always about the panic in the streets, right? Yep. Yeah. But yeah, Athamaeus, uh, he, because he's awesome, is like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't super There's a rational expo- explanation for this. Yeah. <laughs> he's the son of an alien. Yeah, alien <laughs> biology totally makes sense. And he's, he's wiggled his way. They find it. He's sort of dug his way straight up. You know, it's not like he was dug up. Yeah, he he, out- yeah, Athamaeus plays detective and visits the grave. Yeah, he burrowed out, which is freaky, especially since his head was cut off. Ugh. But... But he is a little different because it's time for another execution. So this actually, that the way he escapes his grave in all these parts kind of reminds me of like maybe there is some sort of um, connection between the Vormis and I guess the formless spawn or whatever they're or called. In, or some kind of burrower. Yeah. Uh, what, what, which was the story where there's the like kind of blob jelly guy. I the, think that's um, the formless spawn. Yeah, the formless yeah, spawn, but... The, uh, well, what is uh, it? The Satampraseros? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, is that the one. Testament, or... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Smith ever actually names them formless spawn, or if that's, like, something no, somewhere yeah. else. No, yeah, he keeps but, calling it the Fane of Sathagua. Yeah. But, but yeah. That, it does remind me of that, like, maybe he almost, uh, like, turns liquid to get out of uh, the right. grave, or, like, to burrow out of the grave, but, yeah. So they catch him... They catch him again, and Athamaeus They rewrite him. the laws. They rewrite the laws. Athamaeus executes him for a second time. After noting, because he's Athamaeus, he notes that his body has changed. Like, blotches have changed. Right. Um, his his mm-hmm. neck has been shortened, and there have been other subtler changes. Uh, but once again, the sword comes down, and the head comes off. Uh, and then... I noted an awesome sentence that goes like this. From a legal viewpoint, this doubly nefarious malefactor was now twice dead. Which, again, yes. is just like this weird officiousness of it. You yeah. Dung dung! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now they make uh, what they think is an, an inescapable tomb for him with big granite slabs and boulders. and. So this is actually where my not-too-related Hitler notes come into play. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was actually listening to a podcast about the fall of the Roman Empire, and they talked about someone having having this done to them, but uh, I found out that apparently the KGB had Hitler's remains, and at some point they had them destroyed and then thrown in a river. 
Wow. And it kind of reminded me like the lengths that because it was to destroy yeah. his memory, to destroy his right. memory, so that like right, neo Nazis yeah. wouldn't like pilgrimage to his grave or whatever. Right, yeah. right. And it reminds me of like the lengths they're going to to try to just get rid of Nagafin's arm and like. Yeah. So I guess it's not the same because they are assu- they're doing it to prevent him from coming back, which <laughs> I don't think anybody's worried about Hitler coming back. Yeah. No, and that's another point for the Dunwich Horror parallels is that the Dunwich Horror is kind of a reverse messianic fiction, and mm-hmm. this is kind of the same, like putting him in a, a hole in the ground covered with boulders. Yeah, to keep him yeah. from rising again. Right. To be honest, too, like I kind of wish Wilbur Watley had Was a little the Messiah? more, <laughs> no, had a little more chutzpah. Like, yeah. Then, like, because I would expect, like, when like he gets killed by dogs. Yep. And yep. like Nagathan Zalm is just like he's getting decapitated left and right, and he's still you can keep <laughs> him down. And it's like that's what I expect, like this half son of a great old one to do. I know. Well, uh, in Watley's defense, his he tried to shoot the dogs, but the bullet <laughs> the, the bullet was nicked, so it didn't discharge from the gun. So he tried. Yeah. Just he had some bad luck. He failed his luck roll. Oh, what a dope. Uh, so uh, they bury him in this incredibly extravagant way, but that night he comes back again. And this, this is a time, great passage. Is that is this in the... Uh, where it, I, no, no, I no. didn't have this reading. I fast-forwarded us to the third execution. Okay. We should talk about what he does. Yes, a this bit. is a really... I thought this was hilarious. That Yeah, so he, he re-escapes <laughs> and uh, he goes again on a rampage. And uh, Smith writes, he had eaten no less a personage than one of the eight judges and not satisfied with picking the bones of this rather obese individual had devoured by way of dessert the more outstanding facial features of one of the police (laughs) who had tried to deter him from finishing his main course. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're that cop. Yeah. It's and again, insane. like it's it's totally insane. It's insane too that that I really think that one of and I you know, we talk about it quite a bit, but that one of Clark Ashton Smith's major leg ups is this weird off kilter sense of humor. Like that's a yes. funny way to say what this guy did. It's not yeah. presented necessarily. Although this is, I guess, a horror story. It's not these moments are presented with like a pretty uh, confident sense of humor. You know, like uh, it's really really good. Oh no! Again, he's just like you know. He does. He gives us like information about the legal viewpoints, but then he leaves us to think about how he actually ate that guy's face. <laughs> like I have to sit here and think about that. Isn't it not even all of the face? Yeah, just just, just some, yeah. Oh. Yeah, he ate. Well, he doesn't say, but he doesn't say exactly everything. But he does mention that he was devouring the constable's left ear. <laughs> When they apprehended oh. him. I'm just going to be twitchy now. Oh, it's <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, he's like in the best buffet ever. He's like, <laughs> there's no reason to escape Camorium. They just no. chop his head off, put him, in a, put him in a hole. He comes right back out and eats people. So they catch him again and they drag him back to the square, uh, to the area of town that's where the executions happen. Which I imagine was it? It must have been described earlier, but I can't remember exactly how it's described. Yeah, it's like the town square with like a block of that Igon wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this time they they don't like there really is no process. They no. They, they like do it the same day. They like, take that guy's head for the third time. Yeah, and well, now people are starting to leave the city, and they're starting to get worried that the old gods are are angry, and this is their punishment. Yeah, and I think also our narrator is feeling personally affronted by this. That he's good at his job. 
He's only ever taken a head off in one clean swing. He took this guy's head off in one clean swing, despite the challenge, and yet he keeps coming back. <laughs> He's going to have more to worry about than his reputation in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply conscious of the honor thus implied, and sorely perplexed but undaunted, I went forth to the scene of my labors. When the criminal reappeared, it was obvious not only to me but to everyone that his physical personality in achieving this new recrudescence had undergone a most salient change. His modeling had developed more than a suggestion of some startling and repulsive pattern, and his human characteristics had yielded to the inroads of an unearthly distortion. The head was joined to the shoulders almost without the intermediation of a neck. The eyes were set diagonally in a face with oblique bulgings and flattenings. The nose and mouth were showing a tendency to displace each other, and there were still further alterations which I shall not specify, since they involved an abhorrent degradation of man's noblest and most distinctive corporeal members. I shall, however, mention the strange, pendulous formations, like annihilated dewlaps or wattles, into which his kneecaps had evolved. Nathless, it was Nigathan Zalm himself who stood, if one could dignify the fashion of his carriage by that word, before the block of justice. Because of the virtual non-existence of a nape, the third beheading called for a precision of eye and a nicety of hand which, in all likelihood, no other headsman than myself could have shown. I rejoice to say that my skill was adequate to the demand thus made upon it, and once again the culprit was shorn of his vile cephaloid appendage. But if the blade had gone even a little to either side, the dismemberment entailed would have been technically of another sort than decapitation. So he's really specific. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> There's a couple of things in here. First, he's talking about his penis, right? Speaking yeah. of penises. Yeah. yeah. I don't Which know. Is, no, he is. He totally is. Men's noblest and most distinctive <laughs> corporeal member. Totally I, I guess. But I'll leave that to so you guys. It's not just the penis. <laughs> I guess it's his balls, too. It's amazing. <laughs> Whatever's going on there, it's a whole, it's a whole uh, shadowed smorgasbord for the reader's imagination. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you know I'm going to draw that. Yes, I was just going to say, I hope I hope this has inspired you to uh, uh, show us the horror of Nagath and Zalm. But it's, it's, and like, what this says about FMA is his character is awesome too, because he is, as Ruth just said, incredibly specific about what has changed. And then he goes on to flatter himself, and but then after flattering himself, he like loops back and notes, just to be absolutely clear, that... If, if he hadn't hit where he'd hit, we couldn't actually have called this a decapitation. Right. And I think that's so funny. Like, it's so, who cares? Like, who is this guy that he cares that much that you we know that if a lesser guy had done it, it wouldn't have been a decapitation. But because right. he did it, it was still, a, he was still a headsman even <laughs> in this moment, you know? And I also uh, like that they were never like, hey, why don't we try to, like, burn him? That's what I thought when I read this. I was like, that's another method? Or dispose of the head, maybe? Like, burn the head? Yeah. You guys bury the head near the him? Laws of Camorium. I know that's not how we do things. <laughs> My clients got rights. He provides you a decent burial, so they put him in a child's sarcophagus. Like guys, do something else with the sarcophagus, you know? Well, they something. put the head. They put the head in a child's sarcophagus, and then the body in a like a mausoleum in the city, right? Wasn't it on the other side of the city? Like, oh yeah, yeah. So they're separating the two halves now, and they just. Go to, to drink and keep watch, which is awesome. There's a lot of drinking problems in Hyperborea. Yeah, they're always drinking and gambling. 
I would be getting so drunk, but I would also probably have left the city. <laughs> but like September Zeros was getting drunk for the courage. I'm uh, sure Ibon was a lush. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> Do you think they're drinking foam wine or Suvana palm juice? Uh, they're bringing, they're bringing, <laughs> drinking foam wine because they brought an abundance of the crimson foam wine and leather and bottles. I have a new idea for us. Let's, uh, let's bottle our own liquors and we'll name them after things in Hyperborea. I love It'll it. Be amazing. <laughs> Shut this podcast down. <laughs> We're a brewery now. I gotta go. <laughs> every week, guys. Every week. <laughs> so yeah, Athemaeus and his his guard watch the body, right? And a, another team watches the head. Is that how? Yeah. It works? Uh, no, he's watching the head and um, playing oh, dice okay. and drinking. I, lo- yeah, I do and love how relaxed team. they are. Like, like, there's no precedence for what's happened. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. would, I would be on so on edge. Watching, yeah. like, either one of those things, like, oh, God, it's going to happen any minute. And it's funny, because earlier on in the story, uh, Athamaeus mentions how he kind of understands what's going on, but he refuses to acknowledge it. I forget what the exact wording is, but when he first sees Zom, when he first resurrects and his neck is shorter, he knows what went on. He knows that he reformed, <laughs> but he refuses to accept that that actually happened. Until, until they hear the coffin going, clang, 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 yeah. clang, dancing Unless, across the square. Do you think when they were playing dice, they were making perception rolls? <laughs> and they just and kept failing. failing. Yeah. <laughs> like, man. Tim, I want to point out that the, the text is very clear that they're drinking crimson foam wine. So okay, there that you answers go. that question. All right, good. <laughs> I was pointing I, that out when you wanted to start your brewery thing. Oh, I was too excited about the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> so this scene kind of reminds me of Alien, where the head is... I mean, it's, it's not bursting out of a person, but right. it bursts out of this uh, copper sarcophagus. See, this kind of reminded me of the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that as when well. When it pulls off yeah. and, like, grows legs and runs away, uh-huh. it reminded me of that. Oh. Yeah, even when, they, um, <laughs> when they're doing the blood tests and everybody's all tied up yeah. and then we won't say who, but is revealed <laughs> as the monster and everybody's freaking out. <laughs> oh, that movie. I'm just going to cry in the corner now. Hi, I like horror, and I don't do horror movies. I know. Have you seen The Thing, Ruth? No. Oh, okay. So what happens is Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) is The Thing. (laughs) That makes little or no sense. He's from the future, and he can (laughs) shapeshift. And he teaches a bunch of kids in a kindergarten. I wish you guys could see my eyes right now. <laughs> they're very suspicious. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind suspense horror. I, I don't like squick. Um, okay. So anyway, um, the head and the body meet up, and it, in its third reunion, it flattens. It attaches itself in a semi-flattened manner to the lower chest and diaphragm, and one eye slips away from all relation to the fellow, so that it occupies the navel. Ugh. Yeah, you need to draw this stuff. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, after it's rejoined, they they find it in the it's it's moved into the execution square, and it's totally different. Yeah. So I just had a thought that I don't know if has occurred to you guys. Do you think that he like he looked weird before they executed him? Like you know how he had like the weird skin and like just looked kind of bizarre before. Do you yeah. think he had been executed by someone else even before this story took place? Hmm. I and don't like, know. I don't know how he started. 
yeah, like maybe he started more normal. And the way we're seeing him in the beginning of the story is after something like this has already happened to him somewhere else. It's possible. I like. Oh, wow. I think like the out the the leftover question from the story is basically Ny- Nygathen's point of view, right? Like, does he could he have undergone this process? Well, we should finish the story, but the question is basically could could he have undergone this process? Like, was the execution a necessary part of this transformation, or could he have just oh, done this at right. any time? You know, true. Like, but and I don't I'd, like the story really offers no answers to that whatsoever. Because it yeah. never, you, like, we never get, he never speaks, right? We never, he never no. has that moment where he's, like, slow clapping in the jail or whatever that number No, was. no. Yeah, <laughs> even during his trial, he refused to answer any questions or speak yeah. up for himself. All right, Ruth, you were reading what he looks like, so go ahead, finish reading that. So other and even more shocking alterations had occurred. Arms lengthened into tentacles, fingers like knots of writhing vipers, where the head would have been the shoulders reared themselves into a cone-shaped eminence that ended in a cup-like mouth. And most fabulous and impossible of all, however, were the changes in the nether limbs. At each knee and hip, they had bifurcated into long, lithe proboscises that were lined with throated suckers. And it was using all of this stuff to eat anyone it got. Which, again, Michael, you really need to draw this. (laughs) I'm barely picturing it, and it's kind of amazing. This actually, this description particularly is where I was like, oh, Wilbur Watley. Yeah, this really does feel like it. Yeah. You could even draw like an evolution or devolution. Oof. Yeah. Start. I, yeah, I'm middle, definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to draw this. It's disgusting. So Athamaeus tries to attack it, but eh, not so much. It's pretty, it's pretty fierce and tentacular. He's gone full monster. Yeah. yeah he doesn't have a head anymore, right? He's got no. that cone shaped thing. Like, does he actually even have shoulders or is his, are his shoulders like. I think his shoulders of, have turned into the cone. Oof. Ah. Yeah, you can't decapitate that. No, no, do we know, did Clark Ash and Smith do drugs? I do not, I don't think he was as opposed to it as Lovecraft. Right. And I know he drank, but um, I have not found any any no- notes about experimental drugs, which were, you know, more legal at the time. Yeah. More legal. So I would have thought we would have heard about it. Right, that's true. Hmm. Maybe he just got into the foam wine when he was... <laughs> and he did have weird dreams. So, you know, oh, he you know did. like Lovecraft, okay. you have to keep in mind he had weird dreams. Didn't, isn't there a picture of him hanging out with Anton LaVey? There is. There is, yeah. So I'm guessing maybe he did do drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe he did drugs when he was with the right clip crowd. Yeah. It seems like something, <laughs> something's going on. Here, before the eyes of all assembled begin to swell in every part, in every member, as if it were inflating itself with a superhuman rancor and malignity... The rate at which the swelling progressed, and the proportions which the thing attained as it covered the block from sight and lapsed down on every side with undulating, inundating folds, would have been enough to daunt the heroes of remotest myth. The bloating of the main torso, I might add, was more lateral than vertical. When the abnormality began to present dimensions that were beyond those of any creature of this world, and to bulge aggressively towards us with a slow, 
interminable stretching of boa-like arms, my valiant and redoubtable companions were scarcely to be censured for retreating. And even less can I blame the general population who are now evacuating Camorium in torrential multitudes with shrill cries and wailings. Their flight was no doubt accelerated by the vocal sounds which, for the first time during our observation, were being emitted by the monster. These sounds partook of the character of hissing more than anything else, but their volume was overpowering. Their timber was a torment and a nausea to the ear, and worst of all, they were issuing not only from the diaphragmatic mouth, but from each of the various other oral openings or suckers which the horror had developed. Even I, Aphimaeus, drew back from those hissings and stood well beyond the reach of the coiling serpentine fingers. I am proud to say, however, that I lingered on the edge of the empty square for some time, with more than one backward and regretful glance. The thing that had been Gynathian Zalm was seemingly content with its triumph, and it brooded supine and mountainous above the vanquished icon block. Its myriad hisses sank to a slow, minor sibilation, such as might issue from a family of somnolent pythons, and it made no overt attempt to assail or even approach me. But seeing at last that the professional problem which it offered was quite insoluble, and divining moreover that Camorium was by now entirely without a king, a judicial system, a constabulary, or a people, I finally abandoned the doomed city and followed the others. The professional problem was quite insoluble. <laughs> he is such a pro, this guy. <laughs> it's like, I looked at it, I evaluated it, I thought about it, and went, no, no, no. He's like, I could kill it, but there's no king to make the, to pass the judgment. And there's no, there's no, there's no real good next spot. I love that, oh, actually, I love, I hate that all of the openings and suckers hiss. Uh, that's oh, disgusting. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's gross. I, my note for this section is just Akira. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> like, that's what I imagine. If it, like, the end of this is just, like, that happening. Like, yeah. People um, getting caught in it. And, like, yeah. oh. Yeah, I don't, need, I don't know if we mentioned it before, but when, uh, when he, it was first starting to monsterize... Uh, Athamaeus and his crew were trying to fight it, but it kept grabbing people yeah. and putting them, like, using them as shields so they couldn't attack it without hurting people, so they didn't do much. What a great monster, man. What a great doom for a city to be yeah. devoured by a... And Athamaeus is a pretty awesome hero. Like, we yeah. don't get out-and-out out heroes often in these stories, but I think Athamaeus definitely ranks... While he doesn't save the day, he definitely, like, has a great personality and, like, yeah. an ability that is uh, is pretty cool. He's probably the first hero bureaucrat. Yeah. <laughs> a hero-crat. <laughs> Am I mistaken, or is this is, in the tale of Satampra Zeros, Zeros, this is the town they go to, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. And they don't, they, he, like, infers that it was abandoned for some horrible reason. Yeah. yeah. And, and we find that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there's been legends that it's of why it's been abandoned, but this is, uh, I guess, allegedly the true. And maybe that's why he made, why Smith made Athamaeus such a um, bureaucrat and so to the letter of the law is that we don't expect this guy to be lying about this. Mm -hmm. That this is not just another legend. This is the true testament of what happened at Camorium. Right, it's not just a fanciful. You could double check with the court records, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
And I like the idea that this monster could be sleeping in Camorium and everybody is just too scared to go back. Like, it, based on the thing, he's probably left. Oh, I, mean, I don't unless, know. Unless he devolved into that formless spawn, you would think oh. that that whole chase scene might have woken him up. Like, yeah, that was be. him. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe he just devolved into some sort of, like, because he's clearly an evolutionary being. He, he definitely is not static. So, yeah, maybe he eventually holed up in Sothogwa's temple. I actually, I think the first time I read this, I kind of got, I, it doesn't suggest it anywhere in the story, but my idea was that given time, he would revert back to his human form and he could just keep doing this over and over yeah. and over again. Right. Also, also yeah, I kind of, yeah, I felt the same way, that he chose to inflate. Uh, but as I guess, like, maybe that's just me assuming he would want to look human. Oh, <laughs> like, true. Maybe this is the end goal. <laughs> I didn't. So, what do you think? I mean, I, I like that the story gives us actually no indication of of Nagathan's motivations or how hit like the rules of his body in some sense. But like, I think there's a way to read the story where it's like this is a test for Camorium and they fail it somehow, you know, and and therefore, so it, it like and and by Mike's logic, then like if he were to revert to a human and move on to the next town, it would be the same thing. It's like can this can this bureaucracy deal with something that is beyond their laws? And clearly Camorium couldn't, but but maybe some other place could, you know? <laughs> like, he's just going from town to town. <laughs> like the man with no name, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but I like... That's kind of what I like about the story. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't imply any motivation for him whatsoever. You know, we know that he's a bandit, but that's it. And, it, like, it almost feels, especially in the fact that he gives it... At the beginning of the story, he gets allows himself to be arrested so easily. It feels... <laughs> Like he, I mean, clearly he knew this would happen. But the question is, I guess, you know, did he, did he, well, he must have wanted it to happen. I don't know. I can't really vocalize yeah, the question properly, but it's an interesting thing to think about, you know? He's yeah. pretty inscrutable as far as like villains go. Yeah. But are we just, are we assuming that he has some kind of like higher level intelligence? I mean, it might be Athemaeus is just assuming that and he's just, like the Vormis, just animals who stream out I of mean, their holes and could be. I could, he could also just be that he's bored. Yeah, and he's just like <laughs> I mean, if he is some sort of like immortal creature, he could just be like, nah, what are you gonna do? Right. You, yeah, you can cut off my head, but that's not right. gonna work out yeah, for you. That's true. <laughs> this is new being being shackled up in an oubliette. This is kind of yeah. fun. <laughs> Or, like, maybe he's just, like, he really just is, like, just trying to destroy the city for the sake of destroying the city. Not, like, necessarily mm -hmm. in an animal sense, but in, like, a kind of nihilistic, like, this is what I think of your society. Like, right. that mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. We'll never know, unless somebody writes it. I like the mystery. I like the mystery of Nagathan. Yeah. I, so, do, I mean, I, I do wish that there was like a, maybe one moment where he spoke. It would be great if he had some kind of enigmatic uh, statement of purpose in the middle for us to suss over, but the, there really just is nothing. Well, he speaks at the end, but he just says... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, all, all the meaning is caught up in those uh, somnolent python hisses. Yeah. Who knows? That, that was like an eloquent speech, but we just right. did, never figured it out. It was his manifesto. <laughs> do you guys, like, have... Uh, any insight as to Clark Ashton Smith's like uh, ideas on race? Because there was like the like uh. I, there's a couple <laughs> things that like in this story I was like really 
Well, it's not as bad as Howard or Lovecraft. It's not. It's not. Well, at least we don't. I don't know if we can actually say that with with confidence. We at least know that he didn't write as much that was as racist as Lovecraft. Like who knows what he thought though. Well, know? I don't remember. I haven't read all of his letters, but I don't recall seeing it in in them. I might be mistaken. Yeah. I'm not sure. There's but. there. Well, there's the there's a couple of those letters where he makes anti-Semitic remarks about a. Um, about a publisher who has like who hasn't paid him in a timely fashion or something. Yeah, and um, I I wonder if some of that's like you know we talk sometimes about how okay Lovecraft was sort of a man of his time, but Smith seems to be much more of a man of his time in that not blatantly racist. Yeah, maybe occasionally it just it's like one of those yeah. things where it's like my pro- my main problem with a lot of Lovecraft's fiction, as much as I love it, is that it's not it's not simply like the use of a derogatory term it's like the kind of the theme of the sto- a lot of the stories right yeah and this is kind of similar in that way where it's like you know these people that live in the mountains and he even uses the word aboriginal they're monsters like that's the theme of the story that's true you know like and it's kind of like not to bring everybody down <laughs> but i do think like it's one of the things that i really feel like Personally, it's important for me to talk about on my blog yeah. when I do this stuff because I like I think as much as I love those stories and I love a lot of the ideas in them, I think it's really important to at least recognize that stuff. And like, this is my favorite Clark Ashton Smith story, but then there's that. <laughs> it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I guess I would I would I would argue that 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 racism isn't inherent in the theme of the story necessarily because it's really about one specific member of these bandits being a particular monster, right? And it's not That's it's true. not like he's you know, it's not like he's saying Aboriginal peoples are given to ritual and, and horribleness, although the Vormies are, right? But mm-hmm. it's not like I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't feel to me as like he did a racist fever dream as like Red Hook or something, you know? It it doesn't yeah. um Smith is pretty explicit about saying that these that the the dominant legend is that these creatures are directly descended from monsters. Okay, I mean, so but not not. I, yeah. I I see your point without a doubt. Yeah, it is. absolutely. Like it, it does it definitely touches on it? But I don't think that it's like it feels a little bit more like to get back to the, the questions of like Rome or like these historical things. Like it feels to me like the Vormis are like the Visigoths or something. So they're like mm-hmm. the barbarians outside of this. <laughs> this yeah, like yeah, ancient yeah. civilization you know yeah. um, actually a lot of it i mean this wouldn't help that argument but a lot <laughs> of it the way they talk about it reminded me of like um genghis khan right yeah and the way the mongols like kind of like went into towns and just like destroyed everything oh so like the bandits and yeah the bandits and that kind yeah. of stuff yeah I, I like the idea of him being being what wilbur waitley couldn't be because i guess that's oh. what he reminds me the most of God, Wilbur. They talk. I know. <laughs> it was just such a come down. Like, and he's doing stuff and he's doing, and, and dogs. Well, and I mean, honestly, yeah. even his disgusting brother, like they blow some powder on him and he's gone. Yeah. Like at the end of that on Sentinel Hill, it's like, really? That's it? Just magic powder and Well, magic powder lets him see him and then an elephant gun. Oh, that's <laughs> Oh, yeah. Elephant gun. <laughs> and there are gun. elephant guns in Hyperborea, I guess. That's what they think about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that would have been awesome. That's a good thing about Smith is that the monsters will win occasionally. <laughs> yeah, at least some of the time they have a fighting chance. Have you guys ever thought about uh, taking a pilgrimage out to uh, to see his gravesite or his 
the site of his ashes? Uh, I've thought about it, but it's pretty, like, it's, what is it, a couple hours outside of San Francisco, right? Yeah, I did it yeah. once on a way, on a road trip back from mm. California. I think it would be kind of fun to, to do if we had another reason to be out, like, in that area, or as a group. A group road trip! <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, like, the, just the, the the reason I brought it up is, the, like, the contrast of seeing, like, where Lovecraft wrote and lived. It's like, you can kind of get it, yeah. but, like, Auburn is, like beautiful and sunny all the time right and it's just like what how did that happen maybe that's why there's why he doesn't really even take his own horror stuff seriously like he's <laughs> always there's always a wry humor even in like the most horrifying things like the mandrake where in once in one yeah. sentence the dude kills his wife but there's still a little bit of humor to it oh it's kind of a hilarious <laughs> story which is troubling and disturbing but yeah that story is so great sense. and so weird. I love that story. The Mandrakes. Remember when Smith used to write horror back in Averone? And now I think he just writes still, these. I think it's still horror. There's definitely horrific elements, yeah. I think this is, like, actually, I don't know, like, it's pretty horrifying. Like, mm -hmm. I really can't get the idea of him eating someone in broad daylight yeah. in the middle of the show. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah, it really is. Oh, I'm fairly against, like, CGI in movies, but I think this would look really good if mm -hmm. this was a movie to see just some dude, some black and yellow mottled pied bandit outlaw's face turn into a giant mouth to <laughs> devour oh. a bean seller. <laughs> I could be okay with that. A particularly respected bean seller. Yes. <laughs> he had good beans. That guy had good beans. <laughs> yeah, so what else what else did we learn from this story? Well, actually this this story gave me the thing that I have kept talking about I that I wasn't getting from the other Hyperborea stories up to this point, which is that this is the, the first time that I actually felt like Hyperborea had not only uh, a geography, but a culture mm. and a sense of, like, with right. all the other stories, it's like, you know, Door to Saturn, suddenly we're on Saturn, and the Temple yeah. of Zeros is very contained, and, and Avusil with the Quan is, you know... Similar to pretty contained. Yeah, exactly. And and this one, it, it finally felt to me like Averone felt, or even like Atlantis felt in some sense. Like, it feels like this is a world, and there are a number of places, and there's a culture, and there's yeah. a whole thing going on, you know? yeah. Yeah, there's a whole um, paragraph where he mentions all of the cities near to Camorium and yeah. how they just don't, they don't quite stack up. Yeah. And I don't know, I just loved Athamaeus as a character. I, like, I'm, I'm growing as we get farther into the stories. And again, you know, we're not going in chronological order, but more and more impressed with Clark Ashton Smith's ability to handle character in interesting and kind of unexpected ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot in those Hyperborea stories, actually. I mean, not not that there weren't interesting characters in Averone, but none of them felt as interesting yeah. as, as the guys no. in these stories. I would have liked a necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a nice touch. It's yeah. coming up. I feel like we should have Mike talk more because we're almost done. And Mike, tell us things. <laughs> so who are some of your artistic influences? Oof. Um... Surprisingly, not a lot of people who might, who like do similar work to me. Right. I really like uh, Dan Seagrave, who is a painter that did a lot of record covers for like death metal bands in in uh, the early '90s. Mm -hmm. And he was like one of the first people that I looked at, and I would like stare at the record covers and like want to go to those places. And a lot of them are very like Lovecraftian and otherworldly. And like, what uh, what bands covers did he do? 
uh, he did uh, Dismember, like an ever-flowing stream, that record cover, or um, two Entombed records. Like, his work is, like, insanely detailed, and, like, it's really funny, too. Like, the he did a Gorguts record and a Benediction record, and, like, his, his work is, like, beautiful and really creepy and grim, but, like, you know, it's, which, you know, my work is pretty cartoony and bright. <laughs> it's not the same <laughs> thing, but, I mean, I also like Jeff Darrow a lot. Yeah, I, I like album covers like that, too. Yeah, and then um, Ed Repka is another guy who used to do all the Megadeth record covers. Nice. All right. And now we're he talking. Did, yeah, he did the cover for two of the Death record or three of the Death records. He did Scream Bloody Gore, which is a great record cover. <laughs> um, yeah, mostly uh, record work. You know, yeah. I, I do, like, I don't, as much as I don't really play role-playing games, I do own a decent amount of monster manuals, right. which is kind of, like, what I'm going for with my blog, is yeah. to, like, make a monster manual for the Lovecraft mythos. I love like, it. An ex- like, a for, like, an extensive one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a lot of, kind of, uh, occultish influence. Is that something that you uh, go out and research? Is that something that you're interested, like, personally? Or does that come from just, like... You know, a lot of metal has uh, a cultish, a cultish symbology and influence. Is that where I mean, that comes from, or? Yeah, it's kind of both. Like I, I got it from my. It starts from my interest in horror movie and metal, you know, and then. But as an atheist, like I do think it's all ridiculous. As <laughs> much as I think it's cool, I'm just like this is so stupid yeah. and ridiculous. My partner also has like we had kind of like have a dual role in each other's like artwork. Like she reads a lot of nonfiction, but doesn't really read much fiction. And I'm the opposite way. And we'll kind yeah. of like balance ideas off each other. Like she'll, she just recently read a book about the history of grimoires. And oh, very um, cool. she, I think it's actually called grimoire. And she would like, you know, still like we'd be reading and she would stop and tell me something. And then I would like read that chapter, read that paragraph. And then like, I would be reading like, you know, uh, Clark Ashton Smith story and be like, oh, that thing you read about, like the folklore of the woods, it comes into play in this story. And like, right. you know, we kind of like go back and forth that way. And like, our library is pretty ridiculous, just full of like books on mythology and folklore and, you know, weird fiction stuff. <laughs> That's what, about um, it. What albums, what bands do you do album covers for? I don't know if you've ever heard of it. That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm just yeah. curious. Uh, there's a band called Comeback Kid. Uh, Shark Attack, Rambo, and No Effects are probably the most popular bands, but okay. a lot of them are just like smaller. I have like a website for my commissioned illustration, which is lastchanceillustration.com. Mm-hmm. And there's that all that work is on there. Most of it's all small bands from like, honestly, a lot of bands from Australia and Europe and even Asia. I have like, uh, the, my only requirement is like, you know, I have on my website, there's a thing about commissioning me where like, you know, I won't do artwork for bands that are sexist, racist, or homophobic. Right. Other than that though, go for it. <laughs> anything yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah anything Devil goes. worshiping, fine. <laughs> now I can figure out who did the Blind Guardian covers. Um, I don't know if it's all one person, is it? I don't know. That's I'm I'm having a lot of trouble trying to find it out from simple, quiet Google searches. So I'm guessing I have to give it up. But <laughs> yeah, I just um, they were my first real exposure to metal covers. Yeah, they're pretty good. They um, 
I all, but even like those, like the uh, Nightfall and Middle Earth record cover. Oh god, that's so which weird. Is a great record. Um, <laughs> but even record, but... like even that, when I look at that, like I don't know if you felt the same after looking at Dan Seagrave's work. I was like, oh, I wish this was Dan Seagrave because <laughs> it's yeah. just, like there's too much airbrush and like uh, it's a little weird, but it's like almost there. Yeah, it's a, it's a little more computery. Yeah, because that was '98 too. So yeah, yeah, as compared to like um, Battalions of Fear, say, which is more. Um, it, it reminds me more of a of a D&D game cover. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Just, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just throwing out, like, after looking at Dan Seagraves, I went to look back at theirs to compare them. Yeah, and then a lot of stuff, like, I do try to keep up somewhat on, like, modern mythos authors and, like, take inspiration from that for what I'm doing. There's few that I like. Mm-hmm. So, I understand. Yeah. I, have, I have some that I do, but yeah, it's maybe 50-50. I know. I think you guys have talked about it before, but Laird Barron's stuff is... Oh, like, amazing! The best. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh. Like I t- like I couldn't stop reading his work. So yeah. like that stuff is and um, W. H. Pugmire. Oh, yeah, he's really great yeah. too. Um, okay, so one more question from me for Mike is that you? Uh, well, it's not a question; it's more a statement and a gift to our listeners. You sell uh, sketchbooks, full color zines of your work, right? And yes. people can get that off of your website. Yes, so sometimes do it. Oh, sometimes, and I also yeah. I love your um, Dunwich Horror poster. Yeah, that poster's it's awesome. Yeah, very oh, cool. that's so freaky. There's actually uh, going back to other artists that I like. There's a guy named um, Trevor Henderson that does a bunch of like he he's like a current illustrator, like someone like maybe my age as opposed to Dan Seagrave, and he just he's like in the process of doing a zine. Um, called Puffed Shoggoths. That's all uh, <laughs> That's all Lovecraft-themed work, and I did a companion piece to that Wilbur Watley piece that's uh, Dreams in the Witch House. Oh, oh nice. That's yeah, that that's really cool. cool. Yeah, his work is really good. He just did a poster for the new Evil Dead movie. Oh, oh wow. It's awesome, yeah. So, so that, I think once that actually comes out, you'd be able to get that on my blog as well. And... I know it's kind of hard to get my zines sometimes because I do really limited numbers because they're all handmade, but uh, Repress of number three is coming out Sweet. next week, oh, and then uh, volume four should be coming out uh, two weeks after that. Wow. Dang. Fantastic. So, yeah, I yeah. managed to get one, too, but it was literally like I had my, my timer set, and I was ready to go for number two. Oh, okay. Because I just so, got in under the wire for one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, also, I mean, I guess this doesn't need to go in the podcast, but PayPal sucks. And they like the PayPal button like got all messed up when I did volume three last time. So I'm uh-huh. trying to figure out a new way to do it. But I, I, I understand your feels. Yeah. So I, I think I know I think too. a lot of people got screwed trying to get volume three last time because of that. Yeah. The button wouldn't work. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Well, next time we'll be doing the ice demon, which, um, for those of you who don't like D&D, I'm really sorry. I know, it's a great I'm so D&D sorry story. in advance, because we're going to D&D all over that. For those of you who do like role-playing games, it's going to be a lucky episode. More mystery. Will we even have a podcast next time? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And congratulations to our winner, your name here. <laughs> <laughs> And we should say thanks to yes. Mike for coming on. This was really fantastic. Dude, thank you guys so much for having me on. And thank you for doing this podcast. It's awesome. And as you can see, I've used it a lot <laughs> on my <laughs> within my work. So, Well, we're enjoying your work very much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yes. All right. Uh, that's it. 
by Thanks internet. For <laughs>